0: daily inspiration podcast on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. And with us right now, we've got Trish Garth Hefner. Uh, Trish, you're the president of Anchor Business Valuations and Financial Services. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So how does someone get into business valuations?
1: I just happened to stumble upon it. I was working in Manhattan for a number of years. I moved to Naples, Florida. didn't really have the same type of work that I was doing in in New York City, obviously. So a friend of mine, an investment advisor, had proposed that I look into doing business valuations for family law, so for equitable distribution in a divorce setting in the state Mm -hmm. of Florida. And from there, I became certified through National Association of Certified Valuators and Analysts. And then since then, I've become certified through AICPA and have my certification also in financial forensics and world agent and so on and so forth. But I just happened to stumble into it just through a friend of mine saying there's a need. There isn't a big pool of people offering services such as this. And it's something that I already had a background in. And so it just took off from there.
0: So it sounds like you have a very particular set of skills, still skills that you've acquired over a very long career, and skills that uh, can can make you quite helpful for people who need your services.
1: I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, Uh,
0: famous movie quote there, by the way. My Uh, adaptation of it. That's uh, uh, that's Liam Neeson from Taken. Um, Okay, so so Trish. how does, when when do you, when do people know to bring you in and uh, what is their need at the time? Is it just because they're preparing for some sort of acquisition or merger?
1: It depends on the setting. So if it's for litigation, if it's for a divorce, it's typically the attorney will propose to them that they get a business valuation expert and then they'll suggest uh, me and or they'll know me through somebody else. Um, or they might need it for estates and trust purposes. So there, again, an attorney might suggest that they use me for evaluation purposes for IRS. Um, but there are also situations when someone is thinking about going to market and selling their business. And a lot of times they don't necessarily intuitively know, nor are they referred into somebody like me. Mm. It seems like in a larger metropolitan area, more so services like I offer are more, ubiquitous, but in smaller towns like this, it's it's a lot through word of mouth in terms of doing talks, writing articles, getting the word out there yeah. that business valuations are needed, that you can't just use a multiple of earnings. You actually have to dig into the financials and see what your company is made of in order to get the most bang for your buck when you go to sell your company.
0: That's interesting. So um, in the case of a, like a family law situation, like a divorce, where what are the situations where, I I guess if it's just like, listen, it's just kind of a mom and pop business and they're deciding to split. And so what do we do with the business? Right?
1: Right. Right. And so it becomes tricky. So I, I quickly found out the first two years that I started my company that if I was working with one party versus working as a neutral with both parties that I depending on which party, if I was working with the operating spouse, I was more likely to get obviously more information. If I was working with the non operating spouse, I was, I had a hard time getting the information. So a lot of oh, it yeah. ended up being um, not as clean and, as, and not as detailed as I would like it to be because we just, we wouldn't, weren't able to have access to that information. Um, so ideally, I'd like to work with both parties if I can in a divorce setting. Otherwise yeah. it becomes a struggle and it also becomes a battle of experts. In terms of your, you, I have to be objective. I have to be neutral with respect to my valuation that I put on the table. But yeah. not everybody necessarily abides by the those set of parameters, which they should. So it becomes a becomes a, a battle of uh, billable hours. It seems like that that some experts are trying to accrue. So you have to be have to be really careful of that.
0: So Trish, my perspective: it it seems like people, a lot of business owners, don't bother with valuations until they kind of need one. Is that is that what you see?
1: Yes. And that's, I try to get the word out that they should plan ahead because a lot yeah. of times people don't start to think about what is the value of their business until an intervening event happens. So somebody gets sick or it moves towards retirement, or maybe just an unsolicited call comes to the table and and they want to find out the value of their business. And frequently then they're more in a time crunch and that's not ideal because you want to have your business prepared for a sale. And I always say ideally five years ahead of time, Mm. at the very minimum three years ahead of time, hire somebody like myself, certified valuation expert, come in, look at the financials, compare the financials to the tax returns. And if the right. two match up more evenly, it makes due diligence process, meaning the process of going through and confirming all the information is correct. It makes it so much easier mm-hmm. and increases the likelihood of A, that you'll get more money for your business and B, that the, that the transaction will actually close and a sale will occur.
0: Yeah. Are there any rough numbers that someone could say, well, obviously this is not going to be exact, but at least it's going to give us some sort of a ballpark? Is there, is there a simple formula to get the ballpark?
1: Yeah, a lot of times what business brokers do in particular is they use multiples. So there's something that's called the earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. It's called EBITDA.
0: Yeah, yeah that's it. Oh.
1: <laughs> and most businesses fall between, most small businesses fall between three and five times EBITDA. Um, but that's, again, you have to be really it, it can't just. It, a lot of times, it's cocktail conversation, but you have to be really careful with actually using that multiple without looking at the underlying information, because you might think that your company is worth, say, five times multiple of EBITDA. But then, when the due diligence process starts to go through, and you have a buyer on the table, and it looks like it's moving towards closing, the potential acquirer is spending money on experts, and and they're getting excited about a transaction taking place. Then they'll dig into the numbers and then they'll find out, wait, these earnings aren't exactly what you portrayed them to be. And it's not a five times multiple that we're willing to give you or willing to give you a three. And then that will kill the deal. So worth it to spend a little bit extra in the beginning.
0: What are some of the things that that you're looking at um, a little bit more specifically just to, uh, you know, that are going to be those major deviations from that initial kind of guess at um, what, uh, you know, what a company might be valued at?
1: So there are things called ad So most, in fact, every small company I've ever looked at, I've looked at thousands of them, have run expenses through the business that are non operating in nature. So Mm -hmm. they might have uniforms, but they're actually dresses that they're bought at white house black market, or they have um, marketing, but it's some manicures or, and you come through all of the expenses and all of those expenses that are non operating in nature and that are for the the benefit of the owner, the shareholder get added back to the EBITDA. So that's a big one. Non-recurring expenses, Um, so if you, if you have a move and you have to pay a a big amount to, to move buildings within a a long period of time, if you might be in one building for 10 years, you have to move, that's a one-time expense that you're not going to have on a recurring basis. So you want to add that back. You want to make an adjustment there. Or if you have non-operating expenses, then you obviously, you need to add those back as well. And I always look over a period of, of time to see, is there some kind of, um, pattern that's in place with respect to the percentage of adjustments that have taken place over a three to five year time period because then that will allow me to see going backwards, okay, this this is most likely what the trend was historically, so that I can I can basically adjust and even out that cash flow and see what the true cash flow is. So I'd say those are the biggest adjustments um, that that I would take into consideration. And cash, also small businesses. I valued a restaurant not too long ago and about 50% of the income was not, was, re, was recorded, but was recorded in a, a separate book. So it wasn't actually on the financials I was looking at. And i go to look at the, the numbers with the owner and he says, "Oh, so wait, these numbers aren't accurate. And he pulls out a different book and, and there they're uh, all the cash sales that he's been tracking. Um, so that obviously needs to be adjusted and considered in the valuation.
0: Um, so Trish, you know, uh, again, you were working in, on Wall Street and eventually made your, why, why Florida, by the way? I mean, yeah, other than, I, I mean, I know why I came to Florida, <laughs> but why did you choose to come to Florida?
1: I actually loved New York City, but I have family here. So uh-huh. I ended up moving here for family, but I, I still I still miss New York. And any chance that the temperature dips below 70, I'm putting on Ugg boots and sweaters. So <laughs> I take
0: advantage of it. <laughs> yeah, as of when we're recording this, it's actually very chilly in Florida. And, yeah. and when I say very chilly, everyone's gonna snicker. I think it's <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. what is it? Oh, it's 53. So
1: that's cold. <laughs> I, it was like 40. Yeah, Yep. Uh, well, not really. <laughs> so you
0: so you you move down to Florida and you start your own practice essentially, and um. And I know that you get a lot of your business now through word of mouth, but I think that, you know, one thing that uh I, I think deserves to be said is word of mouth doesn't happen overnight. Um it requires a lot of work to to get that and to set up those all of those referrals. And so what were you doing in your first year to get things going?
1: I actually made a list of all of the referral sources in town in the two counties that are closest by and i set goals for myself so every day i'd have to reach out to one person on the list and try to schedule a coffee and or lunch and or dinner drink etc however i could get face to face with them i also made a list of all my competitions so all the competitors that i had and i tried to meet with each of them as well and i attended all the different benefits that i thought would be of use to procuring more more workflow. Mm-hmm. Um so bar events and chamber events and, and things of that nature. And I did that consecutively, I'd say easily a year, probably two years. Mm-hmm. And I also did a lot of talks. So any chance I could get to get in front of a bar association or the women's club or a board Chamber or wherever I could get in front of and, and do a presentation, I would as well and and just get my name out there, articles a lot of uh, of pro bono work so a lot of a yeah. lot of free work but not there it was good I mean I had to get out of my comfort zone a bit because as an accountant I'm not necessarily the most outgoing person so it took a lot of practicing in the mirror to, <laughs> yeah. to hone in on my, my daughter's like six at the time was yeah. so sick of hearing about anchor business valuations, but <laughs> it paid off. So <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, you said something that you actually reached out to and sat down with your quote unquote competitors. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, what is that call that initial call like a lot of people wouldn't consider that right and they'd be uh, like oh my competitors or you know it's me against them and and I don't want to even let them know what I'm doing that sort of thing um but what's your what was your approach
1: so I think I was naive and I think that was in it was in my play to my favor at that time so mm. I think now would I feel as comfortable doing that probably not mm. but never having owned a business before and not knowing the smaller town um, service offering and, and my competitors. I wasn't yeah. sure, you know, what exactly it would be like, but I just reached out, and made a friendly phone call and yeah. and, and or email and, and followed up and got something scheduled. And and I have to tell you, I there were wa- there were a couple pseudo awkward moments, at least yeah. with one in particular that I can think of. One gentleman who's now since retired is an interesting character and he had a cowboy hat on and he kicked his cowboy boots up on the table and and put his hands behind his head and tried to tell me how it was all going to happen. And Then I had to drive to to the Ford dealership so he could pick up his car. So (laughs) but we became friends and it was nice, but it was a little, little precarious to start, a little unusual. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, And so I would imagine then that you exchanged quite a few business cards or contact information in that first year. What what would you estimate uh, that that total number was of people that you got to know, exchange information with, you let them know what you do in that first year or so? Uh,
1: Well, I have uh, definitively over a thousand contacts on LinkedIn, so a predominance of them. Probably, but I'd say half at least came within the first year. Mm -hmm. So I would say I probably, probably in some, which way, shape or form touched at least 500 people. Yeah.
0: what do you do to stay top of mind, uh, stay top of mind with, with your network?
1: Well, it gets tricky because if I'm working on cases that might require a lot of my time, then I don't get a lot of, of, of. FaceTime and I don't get to, to leave my office, it seems like, for weeks on end. <laughs> so it's usually in January where things start to slow down. So now I'll start to schedule meetings. Like yesterday, mm-hmm. I went to Orlando and met with a contact referral, source mine, and an old client. So I'll just schedule meetings during this time of year and, and get my pipeline filled up again. And then, you know, it'll take off. And, and it's pretty cyclical. It seems like year after year. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, I guess over the next five years, what would you say your goals are for the growth? I mean, are you, we already have a very, very successful practice, and congratulations on that. Right. Uh, and uh, where do you go from here?
1: Well, my daughter is now 13. So, yeah. my goal within the five years is to get her off to college. Yeah,
0: yeah right, <laughs> and right. The,
1: the one reason that I moved here is because of family and to and yeah. have a lifestyle that I could more so afford and, and like to have in a smaller town. Um, but I would probably end up opening an office and having more, um, actual employees instead of using contractors. That's my goal within the yeah. five year time period, probably toward the end of the five year. I already started talking to some people. And as I mentioned to you earlier, I started finally getting my social media pages up and going and, Congrats, yeah. and starting all of these grassroots things that I don't really need to do, but I think big picture, I need to start planning. And so I'm, I'm trying to, to lead by, uh, lead by how I, I tell my clients to.
0: Trish, for someone in your line of work um, in the business valuation space, what are things that people could do to increase their authority?
1: Increase their authority would be education. That's what mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah.
0: And more, uh, more letters behind your name are always helpful.
1: Right, right, right. <laughs> And, and it's, the tricky thing with business valuations is, and this is why I get a lot of referrals from tax accountants, is because you really have to stay on top of all of the changes and all of the um, different ways in which the valuation approaches or the, the nuances thereof are, are changing mm. within the, the specialty of, of your peers. Mm. Um, because a lot of times you could go to court and you could be testifying and you want to make sure that you understand the report that the opposing expert has done yeah. and that you're up to date on all of the uh, all of the nuances of the ways in which the valuation world has progressed over time period. It does take, I get up every morning an hour earlier than what I would ideally have to and read for an hour every morning to mm-hmm. stay on top of things. You At know, one...
0: One question, Trish, forgive me, I I meant to ask earlier is uh, if, uh, so for example, so I've got a company and yeah, I would love to exit that company, um, you know, as a great potential. um, What should I be doing uh, to get that business ready for sale?
1: Should definitely meet with a certified valuation expert such as myself, sit down, give three to five years of internal financials. Mm -hmm. Ideally, I typically get... QuickBooks, if I can get administrative access to QuickBooks and tax returns, any legal contracts or operating agreements, so forth, buy, sell, those types of agreements that are set up with respect to the operations of the company. And I'll do a full deep dive on the company from an operational and uh, earnings perspective and be able to scour through and do a, a light forensics, is what I call it, because I don't do a deep dive on the forensic side, but I do go through each of the accounts and ensure that. There are no outliers for year over year. There are no huge discrepancies if I have comparables in the marketplace to compare their peers to and the similar type companies. I'd say, like I said earlier, three to five years out. So if they're thinking mm. about a sale, the sooner the better. A lot of times what happens is the small company owners have unrealistic expectations as to what their businesses are worth. And then when they get to the point of like we were talking about, when they get to the point where they have to sell, they don't necessarily have the planning and the time to be able to plan accordingly. And then they're disappointed by what their business is actually cash flowing and and what they can actually receive for the business. And that's, that could have actually a lot of times just been resolved with some proper planning.
0: Yeah. Well, Trish, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Your website is anchor BVFS. Dot com. Right. Is that yes. did I get that correct? Yes. Great. And uh, again, congratulations on on the launch uh, back when your daughter was. Uh, well, how old she was she at the time?
1: She was five.
0: Five. five. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, Congratulations on that. Congratulations on your success. Uh, I know you do a lot of business here in Florida. Uh, and again, so uh, you are the president of Anchor Business Valuations Financial Services. Certainly, you know, a business that's looking to get their valuation done whenever the reason is, or even just preemptively. Uh, you're, you sound like, Trish, a good person to know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
1: you. <laughs> Hopefully. I think so.
0: Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest.